Okay, you know, good old Denise does not know how to take no for an answer. <laughs> um, I, uh, I have had the opportunity to speak before at different functions, and I don't know if any of you guys remember, maybe the very first one I ever did, way back whenever I first started the church, maybe pushing 15 years ago, it was, um, let me see, a recovery night, uh, maybe Coral might remember this. And uh, my, my lesson was kind of like a... that room and the deer in the headlights looks on everybody's faces was just unbelievable I, I you know so what the heck was that all about what was all that emotion about well let me tell you what that was a uh, very very raw time in my life it was a very very difficult time in my life I had been involved in a marriage that went horribly wrong it was my second marriage, and one of my fears, and I was, I was 27 years in that relationship. 23 married, but 27 years in that relationship. My second marriage, and one of the things that kept going through my mind is, how many times am I gonna be a loser? I can't, I can't just stop, you know? What, what am I gonna do? But that marriage was dominated with alcoholism, physical, mental, verbal abuse, it was not a good, a good situation for me or my children that were in the home. That relationship escalated to the point where I actually had to leave one night in fear of my life. How I was able to escape that night and get out is only through the grace of God. Because there's no reason why I should be here today. It was that bad. So as I fled and started freaking out over what am I going to do next? What am I supposed to do? How am I going to get through this? And you don't think it can get any worse. It does. My husband took his life. Your whole world comes tumbling down. And you stop. And you exhale. And yes, you babble a testimony of just horror. And that's what it was, was horror. It's been almost 15 years, and I look back from time to time, and I still wonder, how did I get through that? How did I survive? I can't believe that that was really my life story at that time. Well, that was, that was lesson number one, okay? Lesson number two. Again, Denise does not know how to take no for an answer. <laughs> Remember those sweet little ladies luncheons we would do in the springtime? You know, gathering everybody, the fresh flowers, the, the feeling of new birth. Guess who got to talk? Boy, let me tell you what, the church hasn't been the same since. <laughs> that poor Susie went from a to a Hellfire and damnation, people. We are going to get on with this, and we're going to get on with it now. What was that all about? 
Well, I was still dealing with things in my life, okay? I was still dealing with sexual abuse from a father that affected several of our family members. Not only did it affect several of our family members, I discovered that it affected one of my daughters. The illness, the sickness that just hits you in the stomach when you discover those kind of things is unbelievable. That was, that was a very challenging time because this was a father that I had spent years defending. Years defending because of things that my mother said that I just automatically assumed had to do with the divorce that they were going through. So naturally she was going to put him down, right? So I spent years defending this man only to discover when it came out about my daughter, my sister had to sit me down and say, don't you remember? The challenges that God throws at us, God doesn't, let me take that back, God doesn't throw that stuff at you. That's Satan hands at work. It's what we do with it that turns it into a God thing. Not only did I have that but in, going on in my life, but I'm dealing with other challenges. I'm dealing with a boss that is very manipulative and controlling, very demeaning, and not just at me, but with other co-workers around me. So I couldn't even really take it personal. That was his nature. But it was still imposed on me. How do you deal with these difficult things in your life? It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Well, I'm going to talk about somebody else that knows what it's like to deal with difficult things in their life, and that's Jacob. In Genesis 32, 22 through 32, 32, 22 through 32, get my glasses so I can see. We're talking about Jacob, and I have to read with one eye. I've got monovision and solovision glasses. Does this look okay? <laughs> All right. That night, Jacob got up and took two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jacob, the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Penel, and he was limping because of his hip. We also have an accounting of that in Hosea 12, 3-4. Hosea 12, 3-4. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and walked with him there. He wept and begged for his favor. So I've got an excuse for my weeping I did at those other lessons. Sorry. <laughs> 
Jacob is very familiar with the life of struggle. I think he's very relatable. Most of us deal with a life of struggle, different kinds of struggles, but none of us are free from the different issues that come up in life. That's life, that's human. So how do you deal with it? How do you walk the way God wants you to walk when you've got these things going on in your life? Jacob's, as you noticed in Hosea, actually started in the womb when he grasped the hill of his brother. There's your sign, okay? In Genesis, and, and if you haven't read the stories of Jacob, there's lots of them. In Genesis, you know, it starts out that, you know, it, it, in the womb, and then it goes on to talk about how Jacob deceived his father to secure his brother's birthright and had to flee for his safety. He goes to his uncle's home where he agrees to work so he can be given a wife, only to be deceived and given the wrong wife. So he's stuck there for added time and he gets angry. He, he you know, he's, he's, this wasn't the deal. So then he, uh, he manipulates le- his, um, his uncle's father-in-law's flocks to be able to gain wealth. And his uncle's sons discover this. So now he, he's in fear again. So he used, he started out, you know, he deceived his brother for his father for his brother's birthright, and now he's in fear again. This man is constantly on the run in fear of his life. But being in fear, he decides that he's going to return home. Return home to what? To face his brother again? That's still unresolved issues there, and he's going back to face his brother again? You think he was a little bit anxious about all of that? Probably. So as he leaves, he finds himself, he sends his family head, and he finds himself on a bank by the river alone. Good place to be, right? It doesn't tell us that he went to be alone to pray. He says he's just alone. So you kind of wonder, okay, was he manipulating things, maybe sending his family head, throw them off track, and if they got massacred, he could head the other direction, or, you know, what's going on there? Well, you know, Jacob, Jacob's a troubling character because he does have so many different things that goes on in his life. He's conniving, but he's also spiritual. He has his moments of strong faith, but he's also got his moments of fear. I think he was on that bank by himself so that he could spend time praying and planning and talking to God about what to expect. He's hopeful. He's already set the stage for his brother that he's sending all these gifts and these things ahead of him. So I think he's hopeful here. And so he's, he's, I think he's just wanting to spend some time with God to just think about what's going on. So when that angel shows up and he starts wrestling with that angel, you know, I, I, I feel like, I feel like that's a personal touch here. How many times do we set and, and we, we've got these things going on in our mind. We've got a marriage gone bad. We've got a work situation that's gone bad. We've got, a spouse that decides that maybe he doesn't want to be all gung-ho into God. He's okay with a mediocre relationship or whatever the case is. When we're spending those times thinking about what's going on, we're wrestling with God. We may not physically have that angel here, but we're wrestling with God. 
So he spends that time and he's relentless. He knows he is not about to give up. He knows he is not going to lose this battle, that there is a better way for him. So he wrestles all night long. And in Hosea 4, it says, he overcame. His desire to serve his Lord, he overcame. He did not give up. In his blessing, they talk about renaming him. Did you know that the name Jacob means deceiver? What a way to start, right? From the womb, grasping your brother's heel, named deceiver right from the get-go. And they renamed him, the angel renamed him Israel. Israel meaning one who has struggled with God. And an entire nation is named after him because of his faithfulness and his desire. That time alone with God, that's sweeter than honey. That's the time that you can actually lay the cards on the table and look at what's going on in your life. That's the time that you actually can be one-on-one with God because he already knows the truth about you. You know, I talked about doing the recovery and and doing the... um, Divorce care and and all of these different programs that are available, personal counseling. I mean, there's resources available. God tells us to be part of a a, a body for a reason because we need help. We need somebody to help pick us up. But God also tells us that we need that alone time with him because in those moments, we can actually strip off those clothes and look at what is real. Matthew 6, 6 says when you when you go to pray go in a room and shut the door Matthew 14:3 14:23 They dismissed the crowds and went on a mountain alone to pray Luke 5:16 He would withdraw to desolate places to pray Mark 1:35 Raising very early in the morning He went out to a desolate place and he prayed. The Bible is filled with scripture after scripture after scripture that encourages you to be alone with God. So, what exactly do you do when you're alone with God? Some of us call it quiet time. Does it have to be a specifically carved out quiet time? No, it doesn't. You might just slip out to your car at lunchtime and be alone with God. So what do you do when you're alone with God? Well, I've got a couple of ideas. One, you can read and meditate on his word. It is impossible to know what to do, where to start, if you don't know what God's instructions for you are. Psalms 43.1 says, Send your light and your truth and let them guide me. There's no better truth than the Bible. Psalms 119.15, I spend time thinking about your rules. I consider how you want me to live. James 4.8, Come near to God and he will come near to you. But you've got to take that step. You have to go near to God. Psalms 46.10, be still and know I am God. 
When you're in God's word, it allows you to gain knowledge so that you're ready to defend his truths. It allows us to align our thoughts and our hearts and remember his purpose for our life. His purpose for our life is to not go through the torment, the horror of suicide or abuse or any of those other terrible things that can happen on this earth. Those things happen because we're all human and we're dealing with other people that maybe don't know God and don't know how to respect other people. We can show him by living our lives through the light we can show them as an example of what to do and what not to do. It fills us with strength and courage. One of my favorite songs, um, Red Letters by Crowder. Then I read the red letters and the ground began to shake. The walls began to crumble and I became a free man that day. There, it, it, there's freeing power in knowing God's word. Second thing you can do is focus on relationships. One of the things that I spent a lot of time on was dealing with that struggle with my dad. When that happened, you know, I got angry. My parents, my grandparents, they knew what went on. And you know what they did? They did nothing. If they would have done something, by golly, that might not have happened to my daughter, okay? They did nothing. Now, I know what's going on. You know what I did? I did nothing. I got angry, and I ran. I shut the door on that relationship, and I didn't have anything to do with my father except for a cold, occasional, how you doing, Dad? For more than 15 years. That's not what God wants us to do. That's not what he calls us to do. I spent my time asking for for advice from other women. And I spent my time in prayer talking in, to God about it. So that allows you to work on relationships. It also asks you, allows you to, to pray to God. Ask for healing. Ask for him to, to pray for other people around you that you know are struggling that maybe have hurt you, and, and unjustly, maybe they need prayer, maybe they need a sample of God in your life. So it gives you an opportunity to focus on other relationships. Psalms 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. Matthew 5.4, Pray for your enemies and for those who persecute you. 1 Peter 2.17, Honor everyone. Love the family of believers and have respectful fear of the Lord. You know, sometimes some of these things are hard to do. God's telling you, this is what I want from you. God didn't want me to shut that door on my dad, and I did. I knew something had to be done. I didn't know what to do or when to do it, and I, I just continued to take it to the Lord. Another thing you can do in your quiet time is praise God. Praising for these beautiful babies that we have. Praising when there's a, a marriage, you know, especially marriage within the church that's going to allow our generations of Christians to be, to continue on, to set examples for other people. Praise God for answered prayers. If you don't keep a journal, I recommend you keep a journal. So if you don't know if God's working for you, go back and check it. 
you might be surprised at what you see. Thank him and praise him for taking care of us, even when we don't deserve it. Philippians 4.8 says, Fill your minds with those things that are good and deserve praise and things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and honorable. Praise God, because even in the, the, the stuff, the ugly stuff that happens, there's so much to be thankful about. So much. My personal walk with God, why am I telling you about all this junk I have, this baggage that I have in my life? Because my personal walk with God has not been easy. When we're faced with these challenges, we have choices. We can cut and run and say, you know what, if there was a God, this would not have happened to me. Or we can say, God, I know you've got the power to turn this around. You've got the power to heal and love and show that there is a better world. So we have the choice to let ourselves be used for the glory of God or just be like the next person. As I mentioned about my dad and my hurts, some of you know my dad uh, got a call and my dad was on life support and not expected to live. And my first thought, after all these years of anger, my first thought was, I didn't have that talk with him. Dear God, please don't let him die before I have that talk. And my sister and I packed up, and we went down there, and we were there when they took him off of life support, and he didn't die. It was another three weeks of my sister and I driving back and forth to Paducah to be with him when we could. Three weeks of me driving back and forth and then leaving going, didn't have that talk. I didn't have that talk. Three weeks and I'm going, God, I I can't do this. And I was down there one week. My brothers joined us and everybody took off. They went to smoke cigarettes and (laughs) get something to drink. and, And I was there alone with him. And I took a big breath, and I sat down on the bed next to him, and I just gently said, Dad, do you know God? And that opened the door. I had the opportunity to talk to my dad. It wasn't the talk I thought it was going to be. It wasn't the... I can't believe you did this, and how could you do something like this? And I didn't tell him he needed to ask for my forgiveness. I just held his hand and talked about God's love and mercy. And I had the opportunity to pray with my dad before he passed. You talk about healing. You talk about the power of God. You talk about the power of quiet time and prayer. That's not something I could have done ever on my own. That's only through the grace of God that we have those opportunities to open those doors. God doesn't want my dad in hell any more than he wants you or me in hell. It's not our choice. It's God's choice. It's our job, regardless, to share that good news and to give them the same opportunity that's been given to us.
When we talk about walking in the light of God, it's not an easy path, but it can be done through his grace and mercy. I'm going to leave you with the faith of a mustard seed. That's about the size of my faith whenever I I opened my mouth that day to say something to my father. And it does grow. All things do work for the good of those who love him. The number of people that witnessed what my challenges were through the suicide and the testimony, the people that approached me and said, how can you do that? You have to be a Christian. All things do work for his good. You don't have to be perfect to be used by God. You just have to be willing. We can't go back and change anything, but instead, Philippians 3, 13 through 14, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Father God, I am so grateful for your patience, for your love, for the example that you have given us and the women in this room, that these challenges, God, if we just accept the challenge, if we take those steps and blaze that trail, Father, doors are going to be opened and lives are going to be changed forever because of you. But God, it's got to start with us. It's got to start with us being real with you and being honest with ourselves, Father. I pray, Father, as we prepare for some for some quiet time, this prayer walk, I pray, Father, that uh, you touch the hearts of these women, that you humble them to see that they are important. Their decisions do matter. Their lives matter, Father. So I just pray that you touch them and, and you guide them and you comfort them and and you reveal to them, Father, the steps that you do want them to take. We also pray, Father, that the rain stops so that we can enjoy this beautiful day. It's in your son's name. Amen.